Welcome to Family Money Coaching, where we prepare couples financially for adoption and fertility. My name is Laura Coleman. I am your host and financial coach. Today's episode is a part of our Money Mindset with guest Devin Baeza, a financial fertility coach. Devin recommended that we read the book, You Are a Bad A at Making Money by Jen Sincero. I was a little intimidated because of the title, but after I bought it and started reading, it was really enlightening. Listen to today's podcast as we discuss how our incoming thoughts can help us obtain money, how our money stories affect our decisions as adults, and how our money journal can assist us with overcoming our money blocks. Tell me a little bit about yourself again and where we can find you. So my name is Devin Baeza. I am the fertility finance coach. I coach women and couples around fertility and finance issues. So saving money for IVF, should I quit my job? Any questions that come up when you're doing infertility that have to do with your money, um, your fears, and uh, your relationship, all of those things I'd help women and couples with. So you can find me at devonbaeza.com, which is D-E-V-O-N-B-A-E-Z-A.com, or you can find me on Facebook at The Fertility Finance Coach. So today we are going to be discussing a book that Devin recommended. Um, it is by Jen Sincero um, called You Are a Bad A at Making Money. <laughs> the clean version. <laughs> the clean version. Devin recommended this book that we read it because it talks a lot about our money mindset. And I went and found it, started reading it, and I started like underlining things and, and putting sticky notes on things and writing little notes inside there. And uh, so it's a really, really good book. I really enjoyed reading it, particularly since I really enjoy learning about our money mindset. So we'll go ahead and get started talking about this. So I think what was so powerful when I read this book was it really opened my mind to where our beliefs about money start. The fact that you even have beliefs about money, thoughts about money that you might not have examined, but then also where those thoughts come from and how they all sort of play out in your life. Um, she talks about where your beliefs start as a child. She, she talks about it as the little prince being your subconscious mind. So it's like a little boy who is a prince and suddenly he becomes king when his father dies and he's running the kingdom of his adult life. So your subconscious is running your adult life based on information that you gathered and processed while you were a little kid. When you're a kid, you process things in a childlike manner, a very simple manner. And then when we become adults, if we don't question those beliefs, we're still operating on this very basic level understanding of things that might not be true. And she gives this example of a little kid who sees their parents fighting to stop and think, hold on a minute, just because mom and dad fight about money all the time doesn't mean money is bad. It could mean he's jealous that she makes more than he does or that she wants him to pay more attention to her. So she picks fights with him. As an adult, we can process information differently, but as a kid, it's just super simple. And so we have all of these beliefs that influence our thoughts and our thoughts influence our actions. And that influences, you know, how we behave and how we feel about money and those things in our life. And if you go through them all unexamined, you know, you're just reacting. You're not planning your life. You're not changing your life. You're just reacting to your childlike thoughts about money. I underlined that part too, where she said your your thoughts affect your emotions, which then cause you to act. And, and I thought about that like in my own life, 
the, the, the negative thoughts that we have and your negative thoughts cause you to act, whether it's to not act or to act mm, and run in the opposite direction and mm-hmm. positive thoughts uh, leads you to positive action because it's, it's really the emotion that your thought creates. Right. I totally agree. And she talks about your beliefs being what drives the bus and that your thoughts and your words and your emotions, they all have to be in alignment. So some people are aware of their thoughts. If you really, you know, are stopping and taking the time to think about the things you say out loud about money, mm-hmm. which reading this book made me do. There's some right. things I automatically say about money that I I caught myself saying to friends like, oh no, I'm not going to do that. I can't afford it. You know, or making a joke about being broke or, you know, these sort of casual mentions about money. But then you stop and think, wait, I just said that. I just put that out into the world. You're going to sort of reap what you sow. You're going to bring back in what you're putting out. So you had to stop. I had to stop and think, is that true? Am I broke? I can't do this. Or is it just not a priority? Right. Or, you know, right. Yeah, do I just I just don't want to do it. And it was the most socially acceptable answer to give somebody why I wasn't going to meet them for lunch or you know, it made it really made me stop and think and then think about how what I'm saying about money is making me feel too. Because yeah. when you say things to yourself like, I can't afford that pedicure, I gotta wait till payday to you know get XYZ, can you sort of feel that in your body like this doesn't feel good. It feels like I'm out of control. It feels like I'm poor. It feels like you're, you know, you're creating these things that they're not necessarily true and they don't have to be true. It made this book made me really start paying more attention to my beliefs, my thoughts, my words, and then the emotions that was bringing up. Yeah. And and reframing. Mm-hmm. And she talks quite a bit about reframing and instead of saying money can't buy me happiness, say money supports my happiness. And I was thinking right. about how that, th- that particular phrase, money can't buy happiness, but if you have money and you want to have a baby and money is allowing you to have that baby, isn't money buying you happiness? Sure it is. Sure it <laughs> no? is. Yeah. So it's reframing. Yes. Yes. Money, money supports my happiness. Well, and there's so many thoughts and automatic beliefs that people have about money that are negative. And some of it is just a cultural thing. Like how many times in your life have you heard that money is the root of all evil? Like money can't buy happiness. There's, I would say the vast majority of just sort of cliches around money are negative, which is really, which is really interesting because that's, it's not true. Money is here to support you. Money in and of itself isn't good or bad. It's not good or evil. Like if in a room by itself, money is just a pile of things. You know, before money, people were what? Trading seashells on an island to buy meat from each other. Like, you know, were the seashells good or bad? No, it's just a medium of exchange. So it's just the energy you're bringing to it. Can money buy you happiness? Yeah, it sure can. Mm -hmm. And what's wrong with that? Right. (laughs) You know? What, what if that wasn't true? What if money can afford you the chance at IVF and the chance at a family? And you know, our daughter cost $30,000 worth of treatment. What it was money well spent. And I don't, I don't begrudge that at all. And I'm so thankful to money. When you think about the things money has done for your life, if your electricity's on, if you have food in the fridge, you know, if your mortgage is paid, like, you know, money does amazing things for you and it is here to support you in your life. Just because you grew up with that, hearing those things, or you automatically assumed them to be true, or oftentimes you've seen money play out in your own life where it has hurt people 
or you, you know, especially as a kid, you take those messages in and see that my brother and his friend got in a fight over money. My dad's dad is rich and made him feel bad for being poor and less than he is. Like there's all of these meanings we assign to money that don't really belong there. It has nothing to, it's not money's fault. <laughs> yeah. So you asked me what my money story was. Yeah. I really want to hear about that. I just want to, it's some of my favorite <laughs> subject matter to do with clients is talk about their money stories. Yeah. So let me, this is really a very sad story in my mind because it really has affected me quite substantially as an adult. Mm -hmm. But I grew up, I had uh, five siblings. I always thought we were poor. I really, I really did because we wore hand-me-downs, you know, we, we went to Goodwill. We used to call Goodwill goodies and Salvation oh. Army was Sally's because we wanted to say like, oh, I shopped at Goodwill or I shopped at Salvation Army. It was goodies and Sally's. Oh, wow. And uh, anyway, so one time, uh, I don't even remember the movie, but one time my dad took the six of us to go see a movie and he gets up there and the lady tells him how much it was. And he said, that's highway robbery. How do you live with yourself for charging mm. so much money for a kid to come and, and watch a movie? And I remember just staring at the floor. Oh. I was probably 12, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking, please open up and swallow me now. I was so mortified that my dad was really upset about this. And he was given yeah. this poor woman who has nothing to do with <laughs> the movie. Yeah. Right. Down the country for this. So fast forward 30 years, well, 25 probably, <laughs> 25 years, and I meet my husband and he loves to go to movies. And we mm -hmm. went out to the movie. He got popcorn. He got drinks. He paid for the ticket. And I thought had a coronary because <laughs> it was like $50 for just yeah. two. And I'm like, uh -huh. I did not enjoy myself. I, I did not. Oh enjoy going to the movie. I didn't enjoy the movie because all I could think was how much money we were spending and what mm -hmm. an absolute waste. We could just rent the movie at home when it comes out eventually and we can pop our own popcorn. And yeah. Those thoughts were like going through my head. But to my husband, it was an experience. Right. It was about feeling the the movies. It, it was an emotional thing for him and it was emotional for me too, but it was a negative emotion. Right. And and he, we would kind of have a, an argument between the two of us because he would want to go to the movies and I'm like, oh, what a waste of money. And, and finally it dawned on me what the reason behind me feeling that way towards the movies. And we came to a conclusion that on Tuesdays, on Tuesdays, they have a $5 movie and they give you a free popcorn. And I'm like, that's a smoking deal. Celebrate, <laughs> you know. So to me, I... I'm now happy because it's in my price range and we're mm -hmm. not wasting money and we're getting a free popcorn. Yeah. And so he's happy because we get to go to the movie and he gets to have the experience of being in the movie theater. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I recognized where that emotion came from so we could resolve that marital conflict that we had. That is so interesting. That's a really great example of something that happened in your childhood it has like a distinct emotion tied to it. And then, so before you were with your husband as an adult, did you go to the movies very often? Or oh, no, 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 okay. no. Okay. no. So I, you never went. It was I would, always I would, money. Like, <laughs> okay. I would rent them from Redbox, uh -huh. which back then they were like a dollar, you know? Right. 
Yeah. And then we had a family video, uh, and that would be like a dollar. And I, I hated to get the, like the new releases cause those were three fifty. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So, okay. So there's always this negative connotation around the movies and then yes. you, you guys get in a marriage and it really is a conflict because that's something he really likes to do. Yeah. And it is a, it's a whole experience. It's a little different to sit on your couch with a small TV and watch Jurassic Park three than it is in the theater. Like Very true. some you, movies need to when be you feel the it against your chest, yes. <laughs> you need that sound system. And he sits in the coming. same, he sits in the same spot. Oh, really? At the movie theater. It's like, like a ritual for him. It is. It is. Yeah. He, like, he, when, and when he buys the ticket, he knows which seat. And, like, he, this movie theater that we have here, you can choose your seat. Yeah. And so he, he really just likes to do that. That's and so, funny. yeah, it's, it's a ritual for him. Well, so, and then heroes as a coach, if I was coaching you, right. I would take it even a step further to say, um, do you, so do you think that your dad didn't know how much? the movies cost before he took you guys? I think my dad is a very frugal person. Uh-huh. And, and the, the thing is like now as an adult and I've talked to my mom and dad and I realized how much money they were making at the time. You weren't so poor. They, they could have afforded yep. it. Yes. But so uh, <laughs> they had six kids and right. they were frugal about it. You know, right. we, they, they were very tight and because they were tight, we, we did things together as a family. And, and my parents, like my mom is the kind of person where she's like, Look at my, my jacket. Guess how much I paid for it? I paid 50 cents. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's the kind <laughs> of mentality my parents have. And, and right. so I, I, I feel that in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's a very good thing to be frugal because my parents now in retirement are able to do things that they would not have been able to do if they'd spent all their money right. previously yeah. in their life. So right. they lived like no one else. So that they can live like no one else now in retirement. Yeah. Right. And there's a huge pros and cons to everyone's, you know, money personalities that we touched on a little bit last time. But here's what I would venture to guess. So as a kid, your dad might have had an idea how much the movies were gonna cost. He might have just been like, Oh, I've seen this total, you know, as it is a shock. This, yeah, a shock. And he has this, you know, reaction to it. And then like you said, you're just mortified, you're so embarrassed, you just want the earth to swallow you up. And so then through the rest of your life, it could have gone either way. It could have been, I love the movies. I'm going to pay for the movies because I deserve to go to the movies and I don't care what it costs. And you know, you became a movie aficionado from this experience because you didn't ever want to feel that way again. Right. Or, or it could have gone that you subconsciously wanted to prove your dad right because you didn't want him to be wrong. You wanted to be on his side. And so dad is right. Movies cost too much. I am going to now adopt this into my belief and my mindset. And I am going to act this out. Movies cost too much. I, yeah. we, this is highway robbery. Just like right. you said, I, I will not have this in my life, you know? And so then you, until it became a problem and then you found a compromise, which is great, you know, yeah, you, yeah. you know, draw a line in the sand over your movie going <clears throat> experience. But it's really interesting that, you know, you have these experiences as a kid, but then it really is what you say to yourself about it that determines your beliefs, your thoughts about it, and then your actions. Because, you know, you see it in families all the time where kids go through the same experience. Literally, you know, you and all your brothers and sisters went through that same experience, but you probably all interpreted it in different ways. Right. Like maybe some of you don't remember it at all. Right. Maybe some of you thought dad is being ridiculous. Maybe some of you is like, dad, you know, dad is right. Like it's the same experience, but it's how you interpreted it 
yeah. that impacts your life. Absolutely. So when I was reading this book, a lot of things are like hitting me, you know, like particularly that, that movie experience. Mm -hmm. And, and then I was like, you know, thinking about other instances in my own life and I'm thinking, Oh yeah. Yeah. Your incoming thought, which is on page 58. And it says our incoming thought via your intuition. I just know I might get that I should buy this house, even though it costs way more than what I wanted to spend. It just feels right. Via inspiration, via desire, via coincidence. And I was thinking about thoughts that you have. A couple weeks ago, I interviewed a Melinda Simmons. She heard about Chipstarter, and when she heard about it, she just knew that that grant was going to be for her. That money wow. was, was destined for her to help her adopt her little boy uh, from China named Ezra. And I'm like reading this again. She mm -hmm. had intuition. Mm -hmm. She mm -hmm. thought it into existence because mm -hmm. she could feel it. Then I'm thinking other times in your life where you just know. That happens to me every day. <laughs> and the more attention you pay to what you just listed, which are the ways, and it doesn't really matter what you want to call it. Some people, God, universe, spirit, we're all talking about the same thing. So yeah how it talks to you, like you just said, your intuition is you just have a knowing that didn't come from you. You know, you, you know, your own train of thought and your bright ideas that you come up with, you know, intuition just hits you. It's just something, you know, and you don't know how you know it. And then it's your choice, whether you brush it off, talk yourself out of it, or you go with it. And what I have found myself is that the more I go with it, the more things show up, the more it happens every day. Synchronicity, like where the example she gives is when you're thinking about somebody and then they call you, is it that you thought about them so they called you? Or is it that you were just already picking up on the energy of them calling you and that was already in existence? That's sort of debatable, but inspiration, your own desires. So I think a lot of people downplay that. She gives an example. I just know I'm meant to be rich, even though none of my screenplays have sold yet. I would say <laughs> your desire to have a child. Yeah. Because desire, she talks about in the beginning of the book, literally means from the father. D and then sire. From the father. So from God, from the universe. Like I think that if it is in your heart to have children, that desire is already there. That that's already a message from the universe that it's there for you. It yeah. might not look how you think. It might not be the road you thought you were going to take to get there, but just even your, your, the things you want for yourself, why is that desire there? Where did that come from? Right. You know, it came from, I think, God, universe, you already, it's there for a reason and you just have to trust that. So and you that, might not understand it, but you have to trust it. That desire is the thought first and that desire, you start thinking about it start dwelling on it, it creates emotions inside of you. And it's those emotions which are going to cause you to act. What you right. know, if you if you are unable to conceive on your own, or even single women who go and freeze their eggs, they have this desire. And so that's why they're putting into action, you know, oh, hey, I'm 40 years old, haven't met my husband, and I'm going to go freeze my eggs. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you just you have to trust that if you have that desire that you're meant to to move forward with it, you know, that you wouldn't have this strong of a longing, this, you know, sense that this is what you should be doing unless there was something to it. Right. And then, you know, paying attention to all the other ways that the universe is communicating with you. Now, I told you my money story, David. 
Now I want to know what your money story is. So I have a lot of them. (laughs) When I did one of the practices of listing out any of your memories that have to do with money, I was really surprised. I think I filled up, you know, five pages worth. But one of the ones that stuck out for me was thinking about the first time I ever felt poor. So I was third grade. Her name was Lindsay and she was my best friend. I was new to town. So my family had been in military and we lived on military bases. And so literally everyone's house looked the same in military housing. All of our dads were making the same amount of money. So I think in that environment, there probably was very little comparison. But then we moved to Arizona and my dad was out of the military and I was with kids, you know, and all walks of life. And so this girl was my best friend down the street. And I remember I had on a white pair of overalls. I think they were Bongo. Was that the brand? Do you remember from like early 90s? I don't remember overalls from the early 90s. Actually, I've never heard before. What? I'm pretty (laughs) sure Bongo was a really cool brand. Okay. (laughs) I remember No, no. So now I'm going to have to Google it. I'm pretty sure it was Bongo. It was these white overalls, but we had got them at a place called Savers, which was essentially, it was, it's the same as Goodwill. I don't know if they have those everywhere. So I'm riding along with my new best friend in third grade with her mom. And she goes, I really like your overalls. I'm like, yeah, thanks. And she said, where did you get them? And I said, oh, what's the name of the place? Uh, I think it's called, oh yeah, Savers. We got them at Savers. And I was really excited to share where my cool outfit came from. And she goes, ew, we don't shop there. Those are used clothes. Ouch. Yeah. And so it took me back for a second because I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that was something I should be ashamed of, you know, that other people wouldn't shop someplace like that, that, you know, I I shouldn't be proud of my new white overall. So it all just kind of hit me at once. And I remember her mom said something to her, you know, like, Lindsay, that's not nice. Or, you know, she said something, but still, it just really, it it, it sort of hit me all in that moment. I don't have the money other kids have, you know, they have new clothes, they don't have to shop at Savers. And it just sort of brought it into my existence. And I think that for years, I would not shop, you know, consignment clothes or secondhand clothes. I remember my brother wanting to go shopping at Goodwill when we were in high school because he was going through this punk rock phase. And I was mortified. He, he, We'd go shopping for school clothes and that's where he wanted to go shopping. And I thought he was dressing like a bum and, you know, oh, I would never. Um, and it's really funny because now as an adult, like I love consignment shopping and I love finding good deals and name brands that like, you know, smoking prices. But it took me a while to work through that. It was only the first time that I really felt poor. And when I went through all of my money stories, I realized, you know, all of the changes that happened at that time in my life when my parents got divorced and my mom is a single mom and, you know, other times that, you know, we really were poor, how that changes the way you think about money, the way you feel about yourself, how you feel about other people in relation to you, where you assume they have more than you, especially when you're a kid, you know, and you see 
other kids with name brand shoes on or, you know, the coolest cars or whatever it may be. And then as an adult, you can process that differently and see it while well, their parents were in a ton of debt to, yeah. to get them that or, you know, you realize they're, they lived in a single wide trailer, but they had a car that cost more than their trailer. Like as an adult, you can see that as a sign of financial, you know, irresponsibility. But as a kid, all you see is they're cooler than me. They have more than me. I won't ever have enough or I, I am not enough. And which is of course is not true. Um, but those are the sort of experiences, thoughts, beliefs you have to work through um, to move past those sort of subconscious money blocks or else they do show up in your life, you know, by telling you things like you'll never have enough. You are not worthy of having more. And when you're putting those sort of messages out to the universe, you know, then that's what you're going to get back is exactly what you ordered. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to bring abundance into your life, and you're trying to bring in more money, you're trying to save money for fertility treatments, adoption, you know, whatever it may be, you have to change what you're putting out there. And you have to work through those subconscious money beliefs, you might not even know you have to make sure that all of your, those things are in alignment. So what you're thinking and what you're saying and the actions you're taking are all moving you towards the goal of this much money to start my family. One of the things that her book talks about is a money journal. Do mm -hmm. Did you start a money journal? Yeah. So I did. As soon as I started this book, actually, I started doing the exercises at the end of every chapter and wanted a place to keep them. And so in between, I was just writing down things that were happening along the way because it is really, really bizarre that when you start to work on your money block and all of the subconscious money stuff, I mean, and these are exercises you might think are pointless or they're not going to make a real difference in your life. It doesn't translate to more money, but it really honestly does. As soon as you start to work on this stuff and it, keeping a money journal is a great way to keep track of your progress, you start to see things shift. There's a few different tools I use with clients. One of them is a money tracker where you're appreciating all of and tracking all the money that's coming in. A savings pyramid where we have an ultimate goal and you're appreciating every little bit you're saving along the way, tracking that. And then also going through their money stories and what that those you know memories and what they're saying to themselves about those memories and then reframing their beliefs like all of that's work we do and I really encourage everyone to keep a money journal because you will see things start to shift and when you stop working on it also you see things sort of die off a little bit and it was really funny because this book has been one of my favorites for a while I'm actually even going to go see the author next month at a book signing and I'm super excited <laughs> Awesome. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's so cool. So I hadn't read it in a little while. And with holidays and vacations and stuff, you know, I've taken a little bit of a break from working on my own money stuff to work with clients on theirs. Well, I picked this book back up to sort of refresh myself with the parts I wanted to talk about and some work I was doing with a client yesterday. And I'm not joking, I was reading it in the afternoon. And then two pieces of mail came in. And I said to my husband, Oh, who's sending me a check today? And he's laughing. He said, that's not a check is from the insurance. And then I opened it up and it was a check from our insurance to me. <laughs> and then I started laughing and I said, Oh, what's in this? Who else is sending me money? What's in this other envelope? And he rolls his eyes because there's no way that somebody else is sending me money. And no joke, I opened it up and it was from a survey company and it was a $5 bill, like a fresh crisp $5 bill in the envelope saying, please take our survey. And I was hysterically laughing. I high-fived my five-year-old and I was laughing at my husband and I said, you can't make this stuff up. You can't cannot deny the power of working on your money mindset because 
It literally translates to money coming your way. When you are putting it out to the universe, this is my main mission, my priority. I want to bring in more money. I'm going to do whatever it takes to work on it. Then the universe it supports you right back and starts sending it your way. And it's, it's, it's made a, a believer out of my husband. He was the biggest skeptic of them all. So I, they always are right, but I'm pretty skeptical too. So, you know, it took me a while to get on board, but you just can't deny it. If you start doing the work, which of course, you know, working with a coach one-on-one, what we do is the fastest way to bring that about. And then there's little things you can do at home also and even, you know, reading this book is a great place to start. You will, there's no way you can do the work and not see massive shifts and changes in your life. So I'd like to leave our listeners with a call to action. There's different levels of action to take. I do recommend this book. I think it's a great place to start. Working with a coach one-on-one is the fastest way to get there because it is, addresses your specific money stories, your specific beliefs, your specific financial situation. There's so many things that are customized just to you that general information it can't address. So you can read a book that's for everybody and it will help. But if you want to see massive shifts in your life quickly, work with a coach. And if you're not sure if that's for you, for me, I offer a 20 minute call that's totally free. All you have to do is come over to my website, which is devonbaeza.com, D-E-V-O-N-B as in boy, A-E-Z-A.com. And you can click on the link to free discovery call. And then what we do is talk about what you might need, which could be just a single session. It could be email coaching. It could be a six-week program. Or it could be nothing at all. In those 20 minutes, we figure out what's going to be most needed in your life at this moment to get you where you're going. And of course, my goal with all things infertility is, you know, to get you the financing to fund your future family. And I know you want to do that now. So it's something we work on quickly. I really enjoyed talking to you today. This has been a really good book. Again, it's called You Are a Bad A at Making Money by Jen Sincero. I will have links on my website. If you want to purchase it on your own, you can go there and click on it to purchase the book. Devin is really fabulous. Like I've really enjoyed talking to her. Even though I'm a financial coach, we can always learn from other people. And I've learned a ton from her just speaking with her about that money mindset and helping us work through those things. And I also want to make sure that everyone subscribes because we will be continuing our money conversations about our money mindsets. Every month we'll have a a conversation. So if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, I want to encourage you to do that so you don't miss out on future episodes between myself, Laura Coleman, and Devin Baeza. (laughs) Close enough. Yeah. Baeza. I wrote it down. Baeza. I know. Bye. Like you're going to go buy some stuff. Aza. Aza. I'll be be doing a little bit of editing right there. (laughs) No, don't. It's so funny. Really, just leave it. (laughs) There's there's too many vowels. I don't expect anyone to get it right. I want to thank Devin Baeza for being a guest on our podcast. If you enjoyed listening to us talk about our money mindsets and how to change your money decisions, then be sure to subscribe. We want to reach more people, and the way to do that is with more subscribers. Don't forget to share with your friends and family to help them on their financial journey towards a successful adoption or fertility process. Until next time, be sure to visit us at familymoneycoaching.org and subscribe to our blog. And remember, live your financial life with intention to get what you truly desire.